You are listening to ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. Recent clinical trials looking at the benefit versus cost of high-dose statins has found that high-dose statin therapy compared with conventional-dose statin therapy reduces the risk of cardiovascular events in patients with acute coronary syndromes and stable coronary artery disease. However, the actual benefit and cost-effectiveness of high-dose statin therapy is still unknown. This recent trial, using a Markov model in order to compare daily high doses with conventional-dose statin therapy, may change the way in which we look at and prescribe statins in treating patients with ACS and CAD. Welcome to Lipid Talk. I'm your host, Dr. Larry Kaskill. Joining the program today is Dr. Sandeep Vijan, one of the lead authors and researchers on the incremental benefit and cost-effectiveness of high-dose statin therapy in high-risk patients with CAD. Welcome to the show, doctor. Thank you. Can you first tell me a little bit about why you felt this need to study the cost-effectiveness of high-dose statins? There are a couple of main reasons. The first is that the primary studies of high-dose statin therapy had somewhat inconsistent results, and they also tended to report multiple outcomes all combined into a single one. So instead of looking at just whether heart attacks are reduced, they combined heart attacks, stroke, mortality, uh, revascularization, rehospitalization, all the things that can happen. So trying to provide some clarity on those endpoints is certainly one of the major things we're interested in. Why do you think they do that all the time? Is that just because they think they'll get better data? More realistically, what's happened is, and and this isn't a bad thing, is that we've gotten pretty good at lowering uh, event rates in people with heart attacks. Uh, We've got a lot of therapies from aspirin to thrombolytics to acute interventions. And what's happening is that the amount of mortality that we can reduce is getting smaller and smaller. So it gets harder and harder to do these trials, the more interventions that we develop and the more intensive those interventions become. The realistic thing is is that in order to get enough patients to do these studies, you have to start adding things up. Uh, You can't just look at the most important outcomes that we're all used to focusing on, such as whether people die or not. Uh, It's just gotten harder and harder to measure that. Why are you so interested in cost-effective analysis? We've been talking for a long time about this issue, but it really has started to come to light a lot more in recent years for the obvious reason that our healthcare costs are spiraling out of control, according to many people. And really the best way to understand why that's happening and how we can start to contain that cost is to do these kind of analyses, these cost-effectiveness analyses, where we can really try and get a feeling for what we're getting for our money. So, you know, are we getting good bang for the buck? And basically the way to do that is to look at how much we spend on these kind of new interventions in particular and then to look at what we get for them. So in some cases we may not get a lot for the money we spend, and in other cases we may get quite a lot of value for the money we spend. And it's really an attempt to try and clarify those issues. Can you take our listeners through a particular analysis such as this? How did you go about doing it? We actually don't end up collecting the primary data, which is nice in some ways and and difficult in others. But we end up using trials that have been published, such as the trials we're talking about with intensive statin therapy, and taking a look at those in a little bit more detail by breaking down what events occur, when they occur, and then looking at how those events would occur across a lifespan. So, you know, we're not just interested in a two-year trial or a four-year trial. We really want to know what the benefits of treating these people is across their lifespan. So we take these and then estimates from these trials, and then we use some statistical methods to sort of project these things out over a longer time frame. Sometimes I use a comparison to sort of how people determine life insurance rates, actuarial-type work, where, you know, you have to estimate 
how likely it is that people are going to die in any particular time period. And we sort of take that kind of methodology and just apply it to specific diseases based on good clinical literature when that literature exists. And then we also look at the costs, which, you know, it, it takes a little bit of work, but often trials report very specific events that happen, such as whether people get a catheterization or whether they have a stroke. And there are plenty of data out there from various health systems and Medicare and other places that report how much these things cost. And of course, you know, getting the cost of drugs and, and so forth is not too difficult either. So we sort of put these things together and look at how much things are likely to cost each time an event happens, how much it's likely to impact life expectancy, and then we compare those two things. You use something called the Markov model, and I've never heard of it, so I was wondering if you could elaborate on that also, please. When I described sort of a cyclical recurring type process so that things that happen again and again over a lifetime, a Markov model is sort of a fancy methods term, but really it's just a simple way of saying every year that a person lives, something can happen. They can have a heart attack, they can have a stroke, they can die, or they can stay in perfectly good health. And we just sort of use a recursive type process, which is what a Markov model is, to look at how those things vary across time. And then this model sort of sums up all those things that happen, and we can measure those events or, if you don't have an event, how that affects your life expectancy. And then one of the other things you use in your study is something called QALY. Can you also describe that and educate us? QALY is, is short for Quality Adjusted Life Year. And I typically explain it by putting this out there. When we see patients, when we, we do things, whether it's an intervention such as a statin or whether it's a cardiac catheterization or an angioplasty or whatever it is, the ultimate goal that we have is to really impact two things. We want to extend their life if possible, and we want to make their life better. So we want to improve life expectancy and we want to improve quality of life. Quality-adjusted life years consider both of those things together. And the way they do that is basically by using these sort of models, you can sort of say, well, what's in the life expectancy for a person with a specific set of conditions? So if you're in perfect health, you would have the average or above average U.S. life expectancy, whereas if you've had a heart attack or if you have stable coronary disease or whatever it might be, that's going to affect your life expectancy. As I said, there are plenty of actuarial tables and lots of data on exactly how that does affect your life expectancy. So these types of models sort of figure out how long you're going to live on one end. And then the other thing that they do is, is they say, well, if you have a specific health condition that's not perfect health, then that can't be treated the same as perfect health. An obvious example that I often use is consider a person who's had a disabling stroke. Most people could tell you that, well, you don't get the same quality of life when you're disabled from a stroke as if you are in normal health. So based on surveys that have been done of the general public, we put a weight or a percentage on that health state. So, for example, if you've had a stroke and you're completely disabled, you might only get 30% or 40% or 50%, depending on how functional you are, of what a person might otherwise consider normal health. If you've just joined us, you're listening to ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. I'm your host, Dr. Larry Kaskill, and I'm talking with Dr. Sandeep Vijan of the University of Michigan. Dr. Vijan is focused on understanding how variation in patient risk affects costs and effectiveness of therapies. He has applied these techniques to statin therapies in particular. Dr. Vijan, how does your study deal with the fact that there were so many different endpoints measured? How do you deconstruct those? There's sort of a two-step process involved. The first is, is that we took the results from each of the primary trials, and we actually did what people probably know a little bit more about, which is called a meta-analysis, where you combine the data from those trials. 
And the reason to do that is because the primary trials really didn't have very consistent results across most of these endpoints. So, for example, some of the trials in acute coronary syndrome showed a lower risk of mortality, and some did not. Some showed lower risks of rehospitalization and revascularization, some did not. So we sort of, to try and get a better sense of how each of these was likely to be affected in a larger population, we combined them. And then the second thing is, as I mentioned in the discussion of qualies, we then are able to put weights and costs on each of these sort of outcomes. So, for example, if you have a heart attack, you're certainly not in normal health, so you don't get treated the same as if you are in normal health. But it's also not the same as dying, so we put a weight on it. As an example, in the short term, somebody with a heart attack, people generally report that they have about 90% of the quality of life of someone with, who's otherwise normal. Whereas, obviously, someone who's died has no quality of life whatsoever, so they get no value for that. So, in effect, when we generate these qualities, each of these individual endpoints gets an appropriate weight based on what people report their views of that health state are. So, what happened? What, what did we learn in this particular trial? It's not necessarily a simple, clear message where I can just give you a simple soundbite, but there's a couple of things. The first thing is that... It's quite clear from my viewpoint that the, in the acute coronary syndrome patients, patients who come in with either unstable angina or a heart attack, that treating with intensive statin therapy is extremely both effective and cost-effective. It's something that I think we should clearly do. So if someone comes in and you're taking care of a patient in the hospital who's had one of these events, you should clearly put them on high-dose statin therapy. And when you say high-dose statin therapy... Which ones are you talking about? The different trials use slightly different statins, but the, the more consistent one is probably uh, atorvastatin or Lipitor at about an 80 milligram a day dose, really kind of the maximal dose of the drug. Some of the trials use simvastatin at 80 milligrams, but most of them seem to use atorvastatin at 80 milligrams. So I think that that's probably a reasonable thing to do in people who are in the hospital with a heart attack or stroke. Now, what we don't know is how long they should stay on that, but at this point, we assume that they would just stay on that kind of higher dosing for a lifetime because we don't have anything to say we should stop it at any particular time point. In patients with a more stable coronary disease, so your typical outpatient who's got stable exertional angina or who's had a heart attack in the past but is stabilized and really isn't having any worrying or unstable type symptoms, I think the message is much less clear. This is an area that I think we really need to get a little bit more information and probably we could try and get a better sense of their overall risk in future data. So to give you sort of a point of reference, it looks like the stable coronary disease patients get only about a quarter of the benefit of the patients who have an acute coronary event. From a cost-effectiveness standpoint, it's not quite as clear that we should be treating all those patients with high-dose statins. What if high-dose statins were the same price as low-dose statins. Well, that's actually a very good point, and, and that's something that some people have made an argument about already, particularly in light of certain drugs such as simvastatin going generic. And that certainly does affect our analysis. I mean, if, if the drugs cost the same, then I would say that you absolutely should treat both groups with high-dose statins. And in terms of this analysis, what one message would you like us to take home from this? There's no question in my mind that people with acute coronary syndromes need to be on high-dose statins. It almost doesn't matter what the cost differential is. It's a very, what we would call a stable estimate. In other words, with these kind of models, we can really look at how individual things affect our predictions. So we can say, well, what if these high-dose statins cost five times as much as, as we assumed and based on, you know, wholesale drug prices? And it really turns out that under any reasonable set of assumptions that we can make, that high-dose statins look great in the 
acute coronary syndrome population. So that's a clear-cut, unfiltered message, I think. Whereas I would say in the stable coronary disease population, there's a lot more uncertainty about how cost-effective those drugs are. Were you able to look at, in the acute coronary syndrome patient, let's say you gave them high dose of torvastatin, and let's say you gave them no statin, although I guess the standard of care these days is to give a statin. Right. So you weren't able to actually tease out not giving a statin. No, we could try and do that, but I don't think that, given current standards of care, that most people would think that that's a reasonable comparator. I think that pretty much the standard of care, and I think it's clearly shown from you know enough trials to be relatively overwhelming that we should be treating these people at least a lower or moderate dose statin. But I think that this study pretty much confirms that high-dose statins are worth it in those patients. I'd like to thank our guest, Dr. Sandeep Vijan, for joining us today. I'm Dr. Larry Kaskill, and you've been listening to Lipid Talk on ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. For comments and questions, please send emails or comments to xm at reachmd.com and let us know how we're doing. And thank you for listening.